I'm Eric. I'm Cameron. And I'm Michaela. And this is Technically Pop, where Georgia Tech Humanities faculty discuss their pop culture obsessions. Today, though, we are joined by a non-Georgia Tech faculty member, Michaela. Would you mind introducing yourself for our listeners? I'm Michaela. I'm a PhD candidate at the University of Georgia and a former colleague of Cameron's. Welcome. Thank you for joining us today to talk about prequels, perhaps especially Rings of Power, but just prequels in general because it's prequel fever lately. So lately, there have been three major franchise prequel series. The Lord of the Rings prequel Rings of Power on Amazon Prime, the Game of Thrones prequel House of the Dragon on HBO and HBO Max, and the Star Wars slash Rogue One prequel, a prequel of a prequel, Andor on Disney+. Plus. Uh, am I missing any? Are there more major prequels that I didn't think of? That's a good question. I'm sure there Nerds are. Nerds want prequels. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we do. It's the new Lego sequel. Anyway, <laughs> there are at least those three. Uh, so, Cameron, you were the one who was like, we need to talk about Rings of Power. Would you mind <laughs> doing a little bit of an introduction of Rings of Power to basically get us started? And then we'll bring in the other two as contrast at various points. Sure. Yeah. Rings of Power is, of course, an Amazon um, Studios prequel, as we mentioned, to... Lord of the Rings, the franchise we all know and love, probably from Peter Jackson's not a movie adaptation uh, from the early aughts. One oh, of the yeah. greatest sh- films of all time, yes. <laughs> The Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yes. um, of course, Jackson's film series won basically all of the Academy Awards. I think it's tied for the most of all time. Changed the medium of film forever. Truly. Andy Serkis invented <laughs> acting, like CGI acting. Which, of course, he also appeared in the prequel Andor. Uh, but yeah, Rings of Power. But the the thing people are going into it with uh, is ex- expectations of the Silmarillion, which is, of course, the deep history of Lord of the Rings. Uh, in reality, though, Amazon Prime Studios only has access to uh, material from the novels themselves and The Hobbit, the Lord of the Rings novels and The Hobbit. So they can only draw on like incidental appendix material and a lot of this. And that's why it has this sort of fan fiction-y feel mm, to it. It does have that feel. Well, So I have a quick question about that. Can Can we get is it too early to get really nerdy? No. Never too early. <laughs> okay. Oh, well, so one thing that might help, first of all, is maybe we could say a little bit about our backgrounds with Lord of the Rings to just give a sense of who we are. So I love the Lord of the Rings. So yes, I saw the Peter Jackson movies immediately after seeing The Fellowship of the Ring. I was like, well, I need to read these books. So I read the trilogy. I read The Hobbit. I read The Silmarillion. I went really deep. I read The Lost Notebooks, Children of Huron, like whatever nonsense Christopher Tolkien put out there. I read it. I I see you gesturing toward a bookshelf. Yes. (laughs) All of mine are at home, unfortunately, but lately I've been like, I need to reread these. And yes, I definitely read the appendices to learn about the Second Age. Uh, But before I get into a question about Silmarillion appendices overlap... Uh, Cameron, what is your history other than having some of those books I mentioned on your bookshelf? Well, uh, I think when I first got into it, I got into it, like you mentioned, through the movies. Had a fun time with Fellowship and then read them via audiobook when I was really young and then got to reread them a little bit later in high school. Uh, and I just, uh, man, the vibes of the the Shire, I guess I've been Cottagecore before it was cool. <laughs> and just the vibes of the Shire are just like, it hit me in the cottagecore feels. Just an English countryman. <laughs> it is. Or, or I am. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Michaela? Um, I I think I started with The Hobbit as a elementary schooler, and then the movies came out. And the funny thing is, is that reading Lord of the Rings elevated my reading level so much that I was no longer interested in Harry Potter when everyone else liked Harry. I was like, this is too like children's books. I don't, I don't want this. Uh, so uh-huh. I never took up that and went deep into um, Lord of the Rings. But I don't think I... I read the Silmarillion 
I didn't go once Christopher Tolkien really went off, people kept buying me the books and I didn't read them <laughs> guiltily. Uh, but I definitely tend towards the characters and relationships and am not as much of a lore head, which is why Cameron is here. Um, yeah, I didn't mention that I've, I've read the Silmarillion, I think, three times. It, so the Silmarillion was my favorite book for multiple years and I would reread it. <laughs> we just divert to talk about the Lay of Luthien exclusively. Yeah. <laughs> Well, so <laughs> so this is something I was confused about. So Amazon has rights only to the appendices, to the second age, basically. So to the stuff leading up to that battle scene we see at the beginning of the Fellowship of the Ring movie. Right. Correct. Right? Is that accurate? Okay. So we also have Numenor doing well. I won't say too much about Numenor because maybe we're in the minority having read as much Tolkien stuff as we want. And people who listen to this who are like, I can't wait for Rings of the Power season five are going to be annoyed if we spoil too much. But maybe spoiler alert. The Atalabeth <laughs> is part of the Silmarillion, right? How do they have rights to that? I'm, I'm confused. I guess it's also mentioned in it's, the appendices. I don't, this is something I was confused. No, that's about. a good question. It's it's <laughs> yeah. since... Aragorn's legacy traces back to uh, Elendil and Isildur and mm. the, as justification for why he's king and Isildur becomes king of what becomes, what what is a colony of Numenor in Middle-earth, Gondor and so uh, mm-hmm. this, uh, it, he traces his legacy to that and so they can reference Numenor because he had, and they explicitly say he has Numenorian blood Numenor had this great fall, uh, Numenor X, Y, and Z. Um, so all, basically a lot of what you're told is they're this great seafaring nation, a lot of Elvish influences, um, and spoiler alert for the next 10 seconds, <laughs> it's basically Tolkien's take on Atlantis. Um, so this powerful yes. kingdom that yeah. sinks below the sea um, for its pride and hubris. Oh, it's so cool. It's so good. Uh, okay, that was just a quick nerdy question that I had. Thank you. I might cut that out of the final because I have a feeling a very small number of people. This is care. this is Georgia Tech. Of course they can. <laughs> <laughs> Seal door is Aquaman. Right. Like what? Are yeah. We- <laughs> yeah, Aragorn is Aquaman's uh, fail son. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> so maybe this would be a good point to to jump in with general impressions. We each we we've each read and loved Lord of the Rings, including Lord of the Rings Arcana, it seems. Uh, how do you two feel about Rings of Power? I think I like Rings of Power maybe more than other folks do because it delivers on the things that I loved about the Lord of the Rings films. And it gives things that I think we don't tend to see in uh, TV and film today, like horse choreography (laughs) or really beautiful sets, really beautiful, um, uh, all of the the costuming, uh, the hair. Game of Thrones, and we'll talk about that later, I'm guessing, has tried to get (laughs) into that and definitely... um, it does that, but Lord of the Rings is this special, more tender place that in this very like grim, dark era of media, when everything has to be really brutal, is still trying to maintain that wholesomeness that is, I think, at the heart of whole Tolkien. And I the the way the writing still captures a lot of poetry, um, the how they have attended to friendships and are like, yeah, romantic things are kind of a thing, but maybe friendships are the core of, of this. Um, the, the shipping fan fiction will come. As, as it always does. <laughs> uh, but I, I have liked that it has delivered to me in a lot of the things that made me feel warm and fuzzy about the original sh- uh, t- movies. The show comes through on. And, and for me, I, I enjoy, I love the costuming and the set design. I think everything feels very intentional with the ways that spaces are designed to differentiate from one another uh, is really fantastic. Um, And in terms of the thematic, I I would agree with Michaela, the focus away from the grim dark, because it will get grim dark because Sauron's about to destroy every friendship in Middle Earth. (laughs) 
The spoiler alert? I mean, you see it coming. <laughs> the Dark Lord? What? He only well, Sauron is, like, I guess. Yeah. The Dark Lord is the bad guy, but you see these sincere friendships that I feel like is lacking in a lot of the political intrigue media of House of the Dragon, Game of Thrones, but then also um, Succession. Like, they're... <laughs> There's no friendship in succession. (laughs) It doesn't feel like people can be sincere friends because power kind of underlays all their interactions uh, or is at the forefront of their interactions. And it feels like, for example, when Elrond is acting as an emissary of the kingdom of Linden to the Dorvish kingdom of Khazad-dûm, he's approaching it. I'm doing this as a friend first. All my political motivations are totally secondary. And so his prime motivation at all points is maintain friendship to the point that he even betrays his political mission. I appreciate the fact that friendship is being represented in media. <laughs> <laughs> A novel experience. Yes. No, I, I'm, I'm so glad that you're already striking this contrast because you are highlighting the very things that I'm enjoying about the show. I think to me, the highlight so far has been... Elrond and Durin and Dusa. Is that Durin's wife's name? Disa? I think it's Disa. I think it's Disa. Yes. Uh, they're awesome. I love all of their interactions. But at the same time, I find Rings of Power kind of boring. I don't like it very much. I dread the fact that there are supposed to be five seasons of it. And the whole thing felt like it just reminded me of peak TV. It made me think of peak TV where it's like the whole thing's just so extended and it easily could have been far fewer episodes and been more engaging in my opinion. Uh, And I think some of it was the, I think the mystery box storytelling just really, really, really got to me. I hate the stranger so much. Like just that whole thing. I also hate how it ended. (laughs) It it just, it, like, oh, I'm going to have to watch people wander to Rune for a while. I don't think I can make myself care. And I love Lord of the Rings. I, 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 I don't know. You something... watch Fellowship of the Ring. It's about <laughs> the one of the theme songs is about wandering. Yeah, I it just I don't know. Maybe maybe the <laughs> Where, we need maybe the, it's just it, striking it me as too it. Tom Bombadil and not enough parts of the Yo. book that I actually enjoy. I don't know. Yo, if they I, hit Tom Bombadil, I mean, they've already hinted at the Entwives being present. Yeah, yeah. Um, in that one scene where it's, uh, the stranger goes over. You can't call someone the stranger, by the way. Like, that's not, that's too scary. Call, <laughs> call him Starman. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm all, I'll, I'll be thinking Camus, the stranger. So I'm like, when is he gonna like not be charged with murder for not crying about his mom dying? <laughs> if I remember the novel correctly. <laughs> uh, yeah, I maybe I'm just kind of maybe my experience of it is ruined by the fact that I know where it's going and it's not the adaptation I would have made, and it's just like well. I had an expectation of what this might be. This is not this thing. Therefore, I'm disappointed by it. Or because I know where it's going, I'm just annoyed at what is this random nonsense you're making me sit through about making a tower that's going to have an awesome forge that's going to do whatever. <laughs> I will say some of that payoff was weak. I'm like, mm, you, yeah. you, know, you gotta, you gotta show me this tower like lighting up, like give the, this like laser beam of fire that's going to be able to do so, like. That that there were some points I would agree there weren't enough bits of payoff. It it just it I mean, I like what you said about it has a sort of fan fictiony element to it. And it just strikes me as I am someone who very much likes fantasy, but there are many moments in the show that struck me as it was hitting the fantasy beats that people roll their eyes at. And it was actually making me roll my eyes at it where I was just like, really, you're going to make me put up with a storyline about this thing that I don't care about. I don't know. It just, I, I felt no forward narrative momentum and I was bored and I was frustrated and I was annoyed. I am worried that have I just drunk in the Kool-Aid? Am I like, why isn't this serious enough? Where's the grim darkness? Because I enjoy those other shows, which are like grim darkness, the show, and I don't like that if that's the case, but maybe that's who I've become where I'm like, this is too nice and it's annoying. And why wouldn't something happen already? 
sincerity in a post 11 media world. Now, um, one of what I, what I tend to see is that people either think, um, house of dragon moves way too fast or rings of power moves way too slow. And, you know, I think that pacing with these big epic storylines is really, really hard to do. And I would, what you had said about the end, just kind of being like, and now we're wandering is how both the fellowship and the two towers ends is like, and here's our path we're walking, but why, why it paid off more then than it did in this. And I think it's cause they tried to do the kind of cliffhanger every single episode, but then the cliffhangers weren't necessarily paid off in that same way. If they had shot maybe the, the, the forging of the rings as cool as the opening introduction with the fire and devoted this kind of artistic moment to it, maybe it would have been better. I think Michaela hits at a fundamental problem with a lot of this, what do you call it? Prestige TV? Prestige TV (laughs) of you have to have like a, you have to inside the episode have a, a, a a typical plot structure of like a conflict in some way resolving while then spinning into some other problem. And so it's like this weird construct where things are resolved, not resolved uh, in each plot point. And I think the writing was written by warheads. Um, So it wasn't written by people who write like hard TV. It's people who are like, oh, what if we reference Baron and Luthien? Which is one of the least convincing love stories of all time. (laughs) Literally the story is they saw each other and they were like, we are both hot and therefore in love. <laughs> I feel like that's how most of the love stories work <laughs> in the Silmarillion. <laughs> yeah. Or, or maybe there's the occasional exception where it's I heard you singing and I thought your singing was hot. And it yes. was primarily <laughs> audio experience. <laughs> yeah. And maybe my love comes from being a like Renaissance medieval literature person. So I'm always in plot lines like this and that kind of suspension of like, yeah, it's the drama and not it's realistic is I guess not a concern for me. And Tolkien clearly was about medieval literature. Um, But I understand why that's not relatable to modern audiences and modern TV. I think at times it made gestures toward trying to be a bit more modern, trying to be timely, trying to be serious. And they just fell flat. I mean, one of the moments that most took me out of the show was when uh, Al Farazan is giving his speech after Galadriel shows up in Numenor and is like, these elves are going to take our jobs. We need to fight these elves. We can't have that happen. And I'm like, whoa, the conflict between the Numenorians and the elves is the Numenorians are like, why can't we live forever? You get to live forever. We have to die. Yeah. And that's mysterious and scary. Yeah. That's a, that's a conflict that makes sense. One elf shows up on your shores and suddenly elves are going to steal your jobs that they don't want. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> you should insert an uh, audio clip of they took our germs. <laughs> <from> <laughs> <South> <laughs> they took our germs. It was so and, stupid. But well, anyway. yeah, it, it, and that's a problem with a lot of TV is gesturing towards deeper interrogations of power. Mm. And so in something like this, you get like, Oh, racism. Uh, and, uh-huh. But nothing of substance to actually address it. It's just like a gesture. Like, um, and I, I feel like, um, like you mentioned that kind of gesture there, but then also the gestures towards colonialism in the, in the text, there's no fundamental interrogation of it. Um, so the biggest example I see is the elves basically having this, police state over the people who live in the Southlands and constantly having, you know, the sexiest elf I have ever, ever seen. Uh, He, he being elf cop having to check in be like, is there any trouble? And, (laughs) And the constant assumption that is placed upon the Southlanders as fundamentally wicked and evil and need to be under the thumb of the Elvish kingdom it is there but it's never interrogated like the reason these people betray the elves in the end is because they don't why would they have any faith in these people who have been treating them like crap when another power comes along and says hey 
you're valuable to us. Will you help our cause and dig this trench to start Mount Doom? Maybe they'll address it. I doubt it with the Numenorean colonization storyline that's coming. I mean, I think there's more of that. The elf cops, I don't remember those showing up in the appendices or anything like that. Like that seemed just fan fiction. <laughs> Whereas the Numenorean empire that the sun never sets on, that comes up in the appendices. So I could see yeah. that happening. I did really enjoy, again, Alf Arizon, <laughs> maybe the most Game of Thrones character in the show and the character <laughs> that I really enjoyed. <laughs> The, the moments when he's saying like, oh, yeah, I'll support this dumb mission to the Southlands. That doesn't make any sense because look at what we'll get. The elves will lead us to disaster and also we'll get to take all these colonies. Uh, I think that'll be a lot of fun. Actually, that would be cool if they managed to pull that off. A lot of emphasis on the if. <laughs> yeah, because my I think my fan fiction of it, Sauron being that falling star, I thought were better because then the irony would be that he betrays the hobbits and then forgets about who they are and then ironically they come back and and are the ones that are responsible for his destruction in the end and we didn't get that we got like we got gandalf baited (laughs) we Um, did (laughs) it's like i know from a timeline perspective this is not gandalf gandalf showed up in the third the thousandth year of the third age not in the second (laughs) age uh in the year in the year of i think it's the year of mourning the year of weeping uh, something like that, but basically the year Sauron reemerges to cause misery on Middle Earth. I'm so glad we're getting into uh, this. <laughs> yeah, right. And so technically, he should be a blue wizard, but they're going to try and trick you. They're going to try and trick you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, should we switch into uh, House of the Dragon? That'll, that'll force me to shut up for a little bit. Sure. I haven't seen it. I saw one episode. Let's talk about it. Uh, so, Michaela, what what are some of your feelings about House of the Dragon? So you, you brought up this earnestness versus grimdark contrast. Where do you see House of the Dragon falling on that? Yeah, House of the Dragon is very interested in the kind of inherent brutality of monarchy, I guess, of when whoever's going to get on the throne next has to be this person's kid um we start murdering each other's kids is kind of where it's ending up um i was really interested in the first episode of this relationship between rhaenyra and alicent and i felt a little bit queer baited by their cute little moment of like are they little girlfriends that could be so cute and where it kind of started falling off for me was how they didn't continue that relationship I thought the moment when um, Allison is marrying Rhaenyra's dad, that they didn't like have a conversation about that or that Rhaenyra showed some of that betrayal and some, and, and unpacked it a little bit. And we're just like, Nope, we're having kids and how everything is like birth, death, birth, death. Almost every single episode is like that. I will say I find Rhaenyra and Allison really interesting And the last three episodes were my favorite of the season. So I'm really enjoying House of the Dragon. I think it's a lot of fun. I I like it more than I liked Game of Thrones. Uh, I think because what I enjoyed about Game of Thrones was the political stuff. And I was like, oh, no, there's this dumb thing about Ice Walkers. Who cares? Whereas this is just the political stuff. (laughs) And... I think it's just a little bit smarter than Game of Thrones was. I think maybe it learned from Game of Thrones' mistakes. Uh, So the last three episodes, these two former friends are at each other's throats. And then (laughs) their dad slash husband, depending on (laughs) which person we're talking about. Because it's like, I I do love the awkwardness uh, behind that, where it's just like, wow, patriarchy is kind of disturbing let's just have that in the background of everything i mean rhaenyra married her uncle so true <laughs> true good point good point but yeah the, i will say there's no incest in rings of power <laughs> not yet not yet not yet good point but i love i love that patty considine viserys who i think is I, I love his character i think he's a lot of fun i think he's really well uh written and performed but he just manages to 
make peace in his family by just being like, we are a family, get over yourselves, be good to each other, get over this. And there's this momentary peace and people are making peace offerings to each other, basically. And then it all falls apart kind of tragically. I think there's some back and forth over, oh, is this really as much of a misunderstanding as it seems? Or is this Allison taking advantage of this small thing that happens? Clearly, people are in the background planning on launching this coup anyway. Again, we could get into more detail about that if we want. But I love how the last two episodes are these two former childhood friends who each through some maneuvering managed to become the leaders of their factions who are constantly holding back everyone around them. No, we will not go to war. No, we will try to find a peaceful resolution because I don't actually want to kill this person. I don't actually want to slaughter their family. Despite the fact that we've been, this conflict has been brewing for years over the past few episodes and it has at times become violent. And then it ends up being this tragedy where there's this accident because dragons, these kind of compelling atomic, like nuclear proliferation metaphors, because people keep talking about how, oh, when dragons go to war, everything burns. Like dragons can't go to war. We can't use dragons. That's really bad. Oh, it turns out dragons are uncontrollable. And then someone dies in an accident and suddenly there's going to be war. I, like when you brought up, themes of friendship and betrayal in relation to rings of power my thought was i think that's what house of the dragon is about and i find it a lot more engaging and i think it's a, mm. to me at least it's a more compelling portrait of that i think you're right michaela that it leaves out some key scenes it requires some filling in of the blanks but i'm happier to fill in those blanks yeah i can see how house of dragon has the energy something is always happening mm-hmm. And that might lend itself to more of a fan fiction environment of people are ready to fill in the gaps with their imagination, um, where maybe Rings of Power is is the filling in, it is the appendices. Um, but I will say, even though, yeah, I, Rings of Power, I don't think is, or not Rings of Power, House of Dragon isn't perfect necessarily in my opinion, but it is giving us an interesting example of what women in power do and Rainier and Alicent as these contrasts of Alicent is by the book. She's doing what her father said. She's doing what her husband said. She's the pious one. She's doing what religion says. And this is what patriarchy is getting her. And Rhaenyra does what she wants, marries her uncle, secret, doesn't murder her husband. (laughs) Um, All of, uh, and I, I, the resentment between Alicent as, look at look at her doing these things that I can't do because the system won't let me and she's getting away with it was really interesting um and and I something that I was thinking about while you were talking is that the restraint of women is what's holding these kingdoms together of Rhaenys when she bursted um, with the dragon pit she could have slaughtered everybody and decided not to which I'm still thinking about like why didn't she um, why why didn't she exact her revenge in this moment? But the the restraint of women is keeping a lot of people alive in this show. Yes. Yeah. And I, I think that's all very interesting. I think that's more complex, more engaging than anything that was in Game of Thrones, where I, I had a lot of moments starting off. So I have a real problem with the cinematic universification and franchisification of all media nowadays where just everything's a reference to something else and instead of bothering to tell a real story it's just hey recognize this thing and be pleased that it's in there that doesn't work for me i i am a lore head but for some reason i am bored by pandering to lore heads <laughs> you literally just described like the the last three shows to come out of Disney Plus is Star oh, Wars universe. Oh, I, mean, I agree so much. So I'm really enjoying Andor. Andor is the first Disney Plus thing I've enjoyed in. I don't care to say how long because it would it would require me to go a ways back. <laughs> well, I, I, maybe to, before yeah. we get into Andor, what what did you what did you see about House of the Dragon that did that? So for the first few episodes, it was just like Viserys pulling. Um, Rhaenyra aside and being like I need to tell you about something it's important it's called pause 
a song of ice and fire. And I'm like, oh, really? Really? <laughs> Some threat is going to come from the north and we need to keep the kingdom united until then. And I was like, and, and the whole opening of like, this thing is 170 years before Daenerys. Like, I get that it's a prequel. I get that it's like, we want you to know that this is related to the thing that you already like. But I was like, I get it. Just tell me a story already. And then eventually like this prophecy ends up being important. It's one of Rhaenyra's motivations for acting the way she does toward the end. It ended up being okay, but there was a while those first few episodes where I was like, if they say a song of ice and fire one more time, (laughs) something's going to (laughs) happen. Honestly, I want more dragons out of House of Dragons. Okay, yeah. Of of if there was like a note that I would give to, and I understand that CGI is very expensive, and how the actors engage with the dragons is probably really complicated and expensive. But like that's in the title of the show. What distinguishes House Targaryen is having these dragons, and we just had a big fuck with the mess up with the dragon um, of unpacking a little bit more how does these relationships work how do they train the dragons Mm. can they maybe daemon is going to really take all of his kids and go okay we have to train you how to ride dragons for war you've been riding dragons for fun now it's time to learn to ride dragons for war um that would be really interesting to me in the next season oh and i think we're definitely headed in that direction but but go ahead cameron so we're going to get uh, How to Tame Your Dragon uh, <laughs> will be enfolded into the Game of Thrones universe. Grimdark How to Train Your Dragon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I am enjoying because <laughs> like part of those movies, or at least the first one is like, oh, this sort of um, like it's the sort of disability studies like, oh, each of us has this injury and together we can like accomplish more than we could apart like i do like imagining that with damon and his or no not damon sorry uh aymond same letters just jumbled (laughs) i do love the idea of him having some sort of meaningful relationship like that with his dragon (laughs) i hope something with depth perception really comes in in the next that where we where we see him engaging with his disability i mean yeah game of thrones uh part of my like uh research is in disability studies. So I'm like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and Peter Dinklage's role um, as Tyrion really in some ways put disability studies on the map in media studies in new ways, but also like he kind of became the end all be all <laughs> of yeah. like, and here's the conversation and other actors with dwarfism have kind of criticized that um, mm-hmm. he's the only one getting hired. He's the only representation. We don't have other roles that, um, we can be present in for and especially in fantasy storytelling like dwarves is a very loaded (laughs) um concept yeah but yeah if if your body's on the line all the time we could really have some interesting evolutions i mean they've already really i one of the sorry side tangent about feminism in media is that game of thrones was really criticized for how brutally sexual assault was um portrayed and how kind of needlessly and traumatically and yeah they kind of fixed it but the traumatic births are just as traumatic and And are just as something that is maybe triggering or difficult to see and i think they're like we fixed the problems like no you're still brutalizing bodies with uteruses and that's why i stopped watching so many of them i was like okay two in the first episode got it oh wait now we have a third and a random later episode oh wait no now we need a fourth in the finale like it it really is. It has just taken the place uh, of assault in that way. Very, very strange. Yeah. Well, it, it'd be, y'all mentioned the the kind of gestures towards these certain things, like uh, it, the and the problematic ways that those gestures happen. Like I'm thinking of the way revolutionary politics is gestured in Game of Thrones season eight. Is like, see, when people try to do good it bad actually um and, and so like so so the, do you mean daenerys's Daener- transformation into a fascist is that, her, is that what you're talking about <laughs> from breaker of chains to yeah, like from, nazi imagery. i mean i have from, to say i 
<laughs> I have seen that episode of The Daily Show in which Jon Stewart pretended to be Glenn Beck, and it really convinced me that that is an essential, unavoidable <laughs> transformation. So I think Game of Thrones is speaking truths. But go ahead. <laughs> well, it, it's uh, she. She's. Uh, I mean, of course, she always has the motivation of wanting to get her throne back. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it seemed like it's it, her motivation always seemed to be like you know what, I can do part of this for the people and to help the people. Um, and also we never got any, uh, never got any evidence that the people really hated Cersei for how abjectly awful she was in the final season. So there's no, the people faded out. Like the second George R. R. Martin's material uh, left um, the show, it became just about the, the, the rich people yeah and powerful and and we never really got insight into how the people were processing all of these big political movements and Daenerys just she 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 turned into like this weird hysterical type of horrible type of women just like oh she's a jilt she's she's jilted lover and the, so she's gonna kill everybody because of it and that's going to be folded into our critique of revolutionary politics. Isn't it really bad when people stand up against power? Oh. <laughs> Is House of Dragon better though? Rainey's just like popped out of the ground with a dragon, probably killing a hundred people. And we're like, yeah, girl boss. Yeah, no. And now it's very much like, oh, I'm going to kill all of these random innocents. But then when it comes to like, oh, you're the people who caused this. <laughs> you're the people who are usurping the throne. She's like, I'm just going to roar at you and then leave yeah that that was a choice (laughs) yeah but yeah i think there is a i think there is a problem with like gesturing towards revolutionary politics and then having to and this is the thing with marvel slot in how the the people who are the villains who are making actually excellent critiques of the existing order have to do something egregiously violent and awful Mm -hmm. to then it retroactively frames they're really good points is well actually that's bad yes um magneto was right killmonger was right killmonger is the worst example i agree he's he's making really great points and then he's like oh (laughs) i'm gonna for no reason choke this woman and suddenly it's like oh my god killmonger's awful yeah i think that's where andor comes in is like actually a pretty effective rebel like the one of the most effective portrayals of like revolutionary thought in like this from the global north in a long time. Yeah, I was really impressed by yeah all of andor and really connecting to who are the people on the ground and what are they experiencing and what does it mean to be a colony what does it mean to have this empire over you and all these different layers and to even characters that maybe we only got to see for two or three episodes when they died i cared about them which i have not Mm -hmm. felt for many star wars franchise things yeah I, the thing it does a great interrogation of, I think the, um, especially of like the central intelligence of the empire, right? Like so much of it is about. Uh, I heard someone say like, if the first trilogy of Star Wars is about the Vietnam War, and the prequel is about the downfall of democracy into like fascism, a la like nine eleven and. Uh, George Bush Patriot Act stuff, even if poorly executed. Andor is about the surveillance state. Um, and there's so much fantastic portrayals of the ways in which like it is both like this cold, grim bureaucratic machine, but also uh, when it gets on the ground, it is cruel and brutal and, and frigid. Like uh, especially the, the IS. The ISB agent. Dedra Miro. He has like girl boss. <laughs> like, yeah, well, there, yeah, there's tons of girl boss energy that's undermined in mm-hmm. this. And I think you're like, oh, yeah, like I, getting along with her story, like she is sort of pushing back against some of the 
uh, outright brutality of the empire and trying to be smart with it. But then when she gets on the ground, she is literally torturing people. Um, she's like, mm-hmm. Oh, here's some headphones. They're going to make you go insane. <laughs> also their headphones of the recorded, like, death screams of these people you murdered that we found out are great (laughs) torture tools like i i think it's really good at including Mm. the people constantly even as it's telling this narrow story about these characters just like oh yeah well let's reference another Mm. terrible thing the empire did oh no and i think it does a great job of like it isn't just spooky that you're being watched all the time the second that the the eye decides to move towards you and and sees you as a potential issue it's going to be cruel and brutal. Yeah, somebody's already writing about the Panopticon in the prison episodes of it was basically exactly that. Oh yeah. Well, all, all of the all of the Empire's imagery is eyeballs. the The Tie Fighters are a single eyeball. The Death Star eyeball. Mm-hmm. Um, They're just trying to be Sauron. <laughs> the logo. <laughs> the logo eyeball. Um, the logo, the symbol of the empire is, is a gear. Ooh, I like that you yeah, said logo, yeah. though. It's a marketable <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> branding, yeah. Uh, you can buy now at Disney. Uh, Disney stores everywhere. Um, yeah, and uh, I mean, but it's also a single eyeball. It's, uh, it's myopically focused. It's It's got one mission. There's no depth to it. It's just order. One thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. the really uh, revolutionary I... character who wrote the manifesto. I forget he needs... But him talking about, like, we need to go back to old technologies and kind of, like, off the grid and and find independence from empire technologies. I was like, man, this guy's right. I need to to go get my VPN downloaded. (laughs) (laughs) And I also love, like, so it's all, oh, we're on Aldani. Oh, this is a heist. We're going to steal uh, the payroll for this entire sector, blah, blah, blah. And the entire time we have in the background, oh, there are these indigenous people they worship at the site. This dam is about to be released and flood this plane and this new stuff is going to happen. And all of the things of, oh yeah, we have these stations set up where we distract people and enroll them in certain things and prevent them from coming to the site. Like it was all very, <laughs> uh, it was all very American West in a, in a very effective thought, way. Yeah. I thought um, so too. And, and the like tough position of, like these these people who are trying to start their like rebellion against the larger empire un- unfortunately having to embed themselves in the within those indigenous indigenous groups that you see later on causes hundreds of them to be imprisoned the grim calculus of what that oh gosh what is the name of the the Stellan Skarsgård yeah Stellan Skarsgård Luthen that causes that Luther mentions in the next to the latest episode of like, Oh, I've had to give up my humanity period. Like he's like, I can't, I have to care about this, but I can't care about others. And it's just, uh, and yeah, do we, do we consider it justified that there, there are these people that have to be kind of pulling the puppet strings from the background, like Luther that are making these really hard calls at maybe cost to their conscience, but not cost to their physical body or comfort (laughs) like all these Mm -hmm. people who are dying. Yeah. Well, the most recent episode is all, do we let Anto Krieger, these 30 men die or, or, or do we try to stop it? And it's like, no, we need to, we need to let these people die. We need to protect the source. That's, those are stakes. Those are interesting things. Those are decisions characters are making to pursue goals. Storytelling. It's fun. <laughs> yeah, I like how the this contrast between this very like noble, I'm I'm doing this for freedom and for these ideals and like the coldness of money being contrasted of like does it matter that Cassian's just doing it for the paycheck of um that other character who was also in the the bear <laughs> he's the older brother in the bear um did you not know that was the same actor <laughs> no. um when he is like about to betray them and cassium j- shoots him it's like that everybody's motivation can be very different is solidarity possible if we're not mm. ideologically the same and this big high-minded thing that everybody's trying to do is just stealing a bunch of money. We're just trying to get money. All yeah. those people died for money.
I I love I hadn't thought about this, but I really love what you said earlier, Cameron. I wanted to follow up on it. Uh, the deconstructed girl bossness <laughs> of Miro. Uh, one, just because I think that's an important intervention to make <laughs> in terms of it, just because someone's a girl boss doesn't mean they're necessarily heroic. Like I'm reminded a little bit of... <laughs> I remember after Trump's election, people were talking about like, oh, like, why aren't the Democrats more excited that this is the first presidential election uh, run by a woman that won or whatever? Like, why aren't people celebrating Kellyanne Conway, feminist icon? <laughs> but also, uh, lately, I've been listening to this podcast, Unclear and Present Danger, which is all about analyzing the politics of 90s movies and especially 90s thrillers. Mm-hmm. And talking about all the Jack Ryan movies in particular, they talk about this sort of nineties sort of liberal myth of competence. Like, Oh, what about competent earnest government officials who are actually trying to do their job and do their job well. And from a certain perspective, that's who Miro is. She's like, Oh, some of this is needlessly cruel. We shouldn't be doing that but she is competent in the pursuit of these awful things. And I think it's a really effective intervention and just representations of intelligence, something that is only slightly less celebrated in media than say police. Yeah. And and I think, and it's unfortunate that the girl boss is the position to kind of the, the stereotype of the girl boss saying this is a man is unfortunate that, um, that the woman is the point in which we can interrogate the background, the systems of power that the girl boss is manifesting and living out. Like it's unfortunate that to, in the sort of words of Ahab, that a woman is the uh, pasteboard mask you have to punch through to like see mm. the thing behind. Um, because I am very much enjoying that, that Mon Mothma plot. That's so much fun. That's so cool. But yeah. Mm-hmm. She's she's Hillary Clinton if she wasn't like as ghoulish. <laughs> that's like that's a strong read and I like it. I'm <laughs> <her>. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, that man, uh, I wonder, yeah, her re-election is I'm with I'm with her. <laughs> My mom. <laughs> I'm interested in her thinking about I'm I'm just a crook like everybody else because now I'm hiding money and moving things and and using means that I didn't want to um but getting to the reality of the empire is always going to play dirty they're not I think there's a character who says something of like they don't even play by their own rules and that's a very interesting ideological point that I like that is being put out into the broader (laughs) (laughs) consciousness. What could you be referencing? I don't understand. (laughs) We've talked about the three separately. We've done some comparison contrasts, but all of them together, I guess, what are they saying about, I don't know, franchise storytelling. Yeah. Can we circle back to your prequel point maybe? Yeah. why, why are we trying to go to the before times <laughs> in media? Um, and maybe it's that it's the sequelization and just like what comes after, what comes after got burnt out and um, people are looking for more of a, maybe it is leaning more into the lore of how do these things, how do the dominoes get set up? But it's, it's interesting to me because I feel like this type of storytelling is inherently tragic in Mm. in the way that this is all setting up something that we know is going to be bad, which I love. I love, I'm a Shakespearean. (laughs) I, which is why I love um, uh, the, the prequels, the, the Anakin prequels uh, where some people really don't like them. And I understand, but to, to see someone fall and to know it's happening and to want everything to change, but it's going to keep, it's going to keep being bad does offer a sort of catharsis and maybe that's our late stage capitalism moment of while we're seeing society collapse, we're no longer turning to like the dystopian storytelling that was really popular five years ago, 10 years ago. How long was <laughs> when, when? Yeah. It is interesting. It's like people looking back on 2016 and be like, Oh man, I missed 2016. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
And I think, yeah, I would agree on all those points of the prequels. And also, weirdly, points out the deficiencies in some of the original stories they're referencing. Like, Star Wars, A New Hope, it was originally conceived that the Emperor was kind of an, an idiot himself and was just kind of a puppet used by powerful forces that he didn't fully understand the deep state as it were um but now he's figured more as like an actual puppeteer and and so it's interesting to sort of that you see some flaws in the original media for like for example like in lord of the rings it's constantly like i am a seal doer's heir and isn't that isn't that great i'm like who is that (laughs) Why, why should i care about this guy uh, and like Tolkien is just like I am a linguist first and a storyteller second. <laughs> he's, he's just too much into like. Well, I have to give you this long drawn out song about nothing that matters to the plot, um, which can be fun and like create a nice baroque experience that we all enjoy. But uh, there are some. It does help. It does point out some of the deficiencies in the original story. Yeah, the the reliance on this like bloodline mythology as as your destiny, very medieval, very feeding into eugenic ideas Mm. and um, a lot of negative and like racist precedents that Tolkien as one of these like huge figures in fantasy, we're still unraveling that legacy. Um, And then maybe this like current moment is the kind of the ceo we don't have the king anymore we have the ceo and we don't need to know how they got there even though it was probably family money <laughs> um, and, but they they just deserve to be there the divine right of meritocracy uh-huh. the and and don't don't look backwards we don't we don't need to we don't need to look into what happened anytime i think there's a a lot of it that a lot of that ideology is asking us to have a very short memory and I think, yeah, that's a good point. And I think you met, you get into the like the inherent realism that it assumes is the how the the natural order of, and that's like in Rings of Power is so much of. If you think about the the One Ring as like the nuclear allegory, I think we mentioned something. The the dragons were a nuclear allegory, mm. like the One Ring is a nuclear allegory. But aren't the elves' rings also like nuclear allegories? Like the Galadriel. Well, the last thing she does with um, with her ring is to literally explode Dol Guldur mm. in a whirlwind. Um, she literally nukes it. And so there's this question in there of like, oh yeah, kings are inherently good until they're bad. Like, <laughs> they're good. Uh, and it's like, oh, no, no, no. Power is, in the, it should, is always, it winds up in the hands of the good people. Um, and it's where like Lord of the Rings kind of collapses under its own lack of self-interrogation. I don't think it was ever going to criticize the monarchy <laughs> as what Tolkien was invested in talking about. You're of, uh, telling <laughs> me a conservative Oxford professor <laughs> who's medievalist is not going to be critical of the British monarchy? <laughs> but, but I, I am interested in that the presence of of the ring or, or the Tolkien storytelling still has this like God (laughs) over it. And what Andor has maybe distanced itself from other Lord or uh, other Star Wars storytelling is really not talking about the force. And I think that that is also changing the tone and the, the morality discussions that happen in Andor. I am liking that a lot. I mean, uh, one thing that I've heard some people talk about is like, I want to see a star Wars thing where I never see a lightsaber where just like force users are a very small portion of the population of the galaxy. Let's maybe see what's going on with people who have nothing to do with the force. I'm like, thank God it's finally happening. And it's really fun. <laughs> yeah. People are like, aren't the Jedi, aren't those a myth? It like makes Han Solo's line make more sense. Yes. Yes. Whereas in like the, all the material from like, good lord the last like 20 years of star wars stuff is just like oh yeah the only people that exist in the galaxy are like these space wizards Mm -hmm. Um, space knights (laughs) Knights. (laughs) Uh, yeah i think uh i will i preface this with my friends uh jokingly but anytime you talk about star wars you have to say first of all this is a story about space wizards for children Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
as long as we can acknowledge that first off, we can have a discussion <laughs> about Star Wars. <laughs> Bring it on down. Yep. But I, I do think that, yeah, it's, the, taking the wizard out of it does allow you to elevate the story, make it more gritty and realistic. And like, hey, magic wizard. <laughs> yeah, I like I like Cassian a lot. Even the very complicated guy, I it was a very quick not comeuppance, but of okay, you like dropped out of this revolutionary effort immediately in jail. <laughs> like <laughs> the the it whatever this is, the empire is coming for all of us. And even if you're off on your fun vacation, it's going to get you eventually. Yeah. Oh, I guess. So one final thing we're, we're uh, at about where we wanted to be, but um, so like all of these shows are supposed to have seasons too. Um, are, are, are you all excited to, well, <laughs> Cameron, you haven't watched any of House of the Dragon Beyond episode one. So I assume you're not watching season two. Yeah. Uh, but what about for the other shows and for you, Michaela? Are you going to keep watching? Yeah, I think I'll keep watching all of them. I, you know, if they really start falling off, I tend to, I did not watch uh, the rest of Kenobi, which I, even though I love Obi-Wan as a character, um, but I, even for House of the Dragon, Matt Smith in his villain era is bringing it. So I'll continue to enjoy it. <laughs> Yeah, and I'll, I'll keep watching Rings of Power knowing there's significant flaws in the story um, just because I like being back in the universe. Um, and I think it's got enough... I mean, I'm a lore dork for Lord of the Rings, so I'm, uh, I overlook the story issues that are significant. <laughs> um, and only because I want to be the first person to see what these dwarven rings are going to look like because I'm going to get one. Um, oh, like you're gonna like know, it's all about the merch. I'm gonna find one on Etsy that someone makes based on the show. Interesting. <laughs> okay, I want to follow uh, up on this. I want to see if you have <laughs> previous merch. Like, do you have like, a sting somewhere? <laughs> no, no, I don't. I, I avoid it. But I'm like, give me those dwarven rings, baby. <laughs> I want to know what a hobbit ring would look like, actually. <laughs> but I'll keep watching it, um, just because I'm enamored of the dwarven storyline. I I'm here for the the buddy the buddy travel what's the um what's the the two women that go on a road trip Thelma and Louise yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, Thelma and Lu- the Thelma and Louise plot of uh the Gandalf, uh, Gandalf and uh Dorn. I, don't, I don't want there to be a romantic connection oh, between oh. those yeah no, no did no. you forget about Minus that kiss that, yeah no I'm just Minus excited for them to like take a wheelbarrow off a cliff or something that sounds fun <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert for Thelma and Louise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Some lorehead did suggest that the reason that the Shire doors are round are because of the wheels. Like those became the doors. And I was like, I, I, I want to see what happened. To me about that. <laughs> I want it so bad. <laughs> I don't need to know where door designs came from. <laughs> <laughs> That maybe uh, that is a very talking thing. Jeff Bezos thing. is whispering in your ear. Yes, you do. You're gonna keep watching. You're gonna keep watching. So it's about the like the place and the connection yeah. to it. And mm-hmm. House of Dragon is like just like go and murder. Yeah, and so have babies. I, I think I'll keep watching all three. I'm probably gonna. I I think I'll buy the Blood and Fire or whatever, whatever the book House of the Dragon is based on because I am really enjoying that. I figure I'll just read ahead rather than waiting. It's like reading a chronicle. I hate. Hey, I love the Silmarillion. <laughs> I think I'll really like it. Yeah, yeah. but um, I I think I'll keep watching Rings of Power. But I think it's just a background thing for me. Like I'm doing something else. I'll turn on Rings of Power. Who cares? That's kind of where I am with it. That's very fair. We could all have bad opinions. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, thank you. Thank you for being so welcoming of me and accepting. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's not. It's not a it's not a super great show. I recognize that. (laughs) All right. I I figure we should sign off. But this was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for joining me to talk about these things. (laughs) Thank you so much for inviting us. Thanks for having us. All right. Okay. thanks for listening, everyone. Um, We look forward to finding some other pop culture obsession (laughs) to talk about next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.